0: Welcome to the Better You podcast, a show about maintaining healthy habits, living well, and the people who do both in their personal and professional lives. Kyle, thanks so much for coming out and joining us today on the Better You podcast.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here, man.
0: We were just getting into it a little bit before the show, but I I'd, I'd love to just catch up and learn what's new. Obviously, you like me, you've got a new kiddo, you've got business that you're launching. Get me caught up, man. What's the latest?
1: Yeah, so the new little one's about four and a half months, so it's been a few months of trying to find that balance, and I'm sure you know you've you've had the same uh, just between the business and trying to juggle everything. It's a lot, it's a lot, but um, trying trying to find some normal routine, and almost there, almost feel there.
0: (laughs) My little girl Asha, she's three and a half months. And yeah, it's just a total, you know, it used to be I'd I'd go, I'd work really hard and then I'd come home and like home was kind of like our time. And now it's very much the baby's time where we have to figure out, all right, what does she need? Is she crying because she's tired and trying to fight going to bed? Is she hungry? Is something else going on? It's so baffling to me and you get so receptive. I'm not sure if you've noticed this or found this in your life, but like I get so receptive to just random sounds that my daughter makes. I'm like, all right. What's going on? what does that mean you know trying to like interpret every every dot needs to be a line in in my life apparently <laughs>
1: yeah yeah seriously I mean the body language is real when you you wake up and you see that smile and you know you've been up for three hours and you're like, what's going on they just smile at you and it's like i okay, I have energy to keep going this is good I can make this work
0: hundred percent that feeling of that you are so needed in those that early those first few months is it's a really cool feeling it there's a lot of energy that goes into getting that feeling but it's a cool feeling for sure it is
1: juggling that with the other a little ones. i have a two and a half year old as well and um it's it's interesting like like you said uh, before it used to be come home you get to spend some time uh my partner and yeah it was it was nice it was it was we get to sit down and catch up on the day and now it's you know it's all about making sure we can balance that energy and that time with uh, with the little ones, And yeah, so it's been, it's been, it's been interesting to find balance, but, um, trying my best to, to be there and and show up, uh, you know, as a parent and, and as a leader of the company. So.
0: Yeah. And tell, tell me about the new, the new venture. What is it? What are y'all cooking?
1: So we are building a learning platform. that helps individuals, uh, learn more efficiently. So it's, uh, as a bit abstract uh we're, we're about to launch a product alpha in cool. the next few weeks um the company is called blended bit technologies but the the actual product name is still tbd but yeah so the the products overall um i'm kind of obsessed with learning and upskilling and uh i was doing some research as a um, grad student at your tech and found some inefficiencies in the learning process I dove in and. We'll see, man. I think we have something here, and um, the industry is kind of pointing to that. Uh, the problem is actually a problem, uh, but we'll see if the solution matches up.
0: So. It's so cool. I think that when you have that moment, that spark, right, and then you can kind of dive all in. I, I've spent time in the the learning and development space, and you know, I think about the first company, you know, uh, Ilos Videos or VidGrid. We had a lot of fun, a lot of success just by looking at our own ways that we learned and communicated information. And for us, it was all about video. You know, video was not widely being used in the classroom. It wasn't widely being used at work. And we wanted to make video really fast and really productive. But I totally relate to what you said about the, uh, the names. Our first name for the product, this is going to take me way back. We called it Video Interface Network or VIN. We thought that was just going to like roll off the time. <laughs> And, and we it. actually, that was what our alpha was called. And, and it's funny, if you go into our database, it still says to this day, that product now part of a bigger parent company still says VIN underscore, and then the table you're getting And VIN comes from that original product name. They never incredible, changed it.
1: Incredible. The legacy continues. I, like I guess. The- <laughs> I guess.
0: Well, one of the things, I guess, thinking about that, you know, learning and development space, I guess, what, what got you interested in that, in that side of improving the ways people, you know, learn or consume information? I'd love to learn more.
1: For me, it was definitely more of a personal journey, um, something that uh, I would say as an adolescent, I wasn't the best student. Um, and courses I was passionate about and had motivation for, uh, I would show up and it was, it was easy. Uh, but if, if the motivation wasn't there, um, I would show up, do just enough. But I always had a side gig going on. Um, I think starting in middle school, uh, all through high school, it was either work, I was at school, or it was something else. So I found when I got to college, um, I, I, I noticed that pattern. And I had a little more metacognition, a um, mm-hmm. little more metacognitive skills. It allowed me to really do self-analysis and say, okay, how much of what you're selling is real? Um, and how much of what you're selling is, uh, is, is fake? And mm-hmm. I, it, I, I found this imbalance. It didn't make me feel comfortable. Hmm. There was a the ability to speak about a lot of things at a surface level, um, and and in as soon as someone dug a little bit deeper, I would find that it was in some areas of my life, it, it just I didn't have the depth to back up uh, what I was getting myself into, hmm. and that insecurity, I guess if you could call it that, uh, led me down this whole path of figuring out. What do I need to do to uh, create some balance? How do I fix this? Uh, there are like gaps uh, in my learning journey. So uh, from, from that point forward, it was, it was constant digging to figure out what I could better.
0: I love that. Kind of that journey of self-discovery where you, you take one foot in and you kind of recognize, okay, what can I validate? What can I see through, through evidence or different pieces? And what, what here, are you telling me here that I'm not sure on and how do I kind of get you know, the resources or the, the knowledge required to, to dive deeper.
1: You know, I'd be in conversations, um, with a lot of smart people and, um, it's pretty easy to have surface level conversations and, and keep the banter back and forth. But when you want to dig in, uh, and I did want to dig in, uh, it, it definitely requires, uh, a lot more, um, thought, uh, and, and a lot more focus in the areas that you're passionate about. So. Uh, learning how to focus my passion and learn the things I needed. Um, that started in, I think I was probably 18, 19. Cool. I started figuring that out. And um, from then on, it was just a, a journey to figure out how to optimize uh, that process. Very cool.
0: Very cool. Well, you know, at, at Better you learning is one of our eight dimensions of health and wellness. I guess when you think about your road to, to wellness, Kyle, and, and definitely feel free to think about it, you know, as broad or as narrowly as you'd like, how did you get to where you are and how did wellness kind of end up being a part of your life on the whole?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when you say wellness, it's, it's very personal, right? For each person that, that, that would mean something very specific. For me, um, it was, it's always a trade-off between the things that I want in my life. Uh, and in my ideal self, so I, I like my ideal self, and I paint this picture of who do I want to show up as if I could show up in a in a perfect world. Who would I show up as? And like looking in the mirror and saying, "How close am I to sure. that?" And and what what do I need to do to get closer to that? So, so for me, um, yeah, I think the, the journey usually focuses and and leans a little bit more professional. Um, I've always had this. Uh, desire to build things and solve problems. Um, the exclusion, like I said, everything is a little bit of a trade-off. The exclusion of uh, personal relationships, um, sometimes health, uh, but it's, it's finding that, that middle ground where I'm able to do just enough in the, every area, and, and I think you mentioned dimensions of yeah. my life, um, where I can show up the best I can for my professional endeavors, whatever that is going to be at the time.
0: You know, it's so interesting, that idea of who do I want to show up as, at, at Better You. we kind of ask people the question of, of who do you want to be six months from now, a year from now, and then we always try to think about what are the small things we could do to help you get a little closer to that. And it's a, that's a really interesting way of framing it, though. Who, what, what kind of person, if I could show up as this person, who would I show up as and kind of what's getting in my way for achieving that?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like, I've always been kind of a framework type person. If I find a problem, it's like, okay, I'm not the first person to have this issue. So then I go into this research phase where I read and ask as many questions as I can to learn about the problem. Then I try to create a framework and create like a gap plan saying, here's where I am. Here's where I want to be. What's the reality given how I've been acting uh, and, and where I'm currently motivated to get to the next phase. and. uh yeah, it's always different depending on, on the problem I'm working on, but it's generally the, the constant.
0: <laughs> I want to triple click into that process you just mentioned. And I know a triple click doesn't actually do anything. It's probably just <laughs> a double click and then an extra click. But when you find a problem or a, a process, something that you, you were diving into, before you, you try to create that framework, how do you know it's a problem that you really want to tackle? What do you look for?
1: Yeah, I, I think... it. Again, depends on the problem, but for the most part it's um I feel inherently like something's off. Mm-hmm. Um so if it's my health, for example, uh yeah, I might notice that uh I'm not sleeping well True. or uh I feel weak or I don't have energy. So usually unfortunately it's like you know, just listen to the signs uh, of my own body. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, something's off. Uh, my energy's spiking at noon. Um I'm crashing at around one o'clock. Why is that? Right. And that. For example, led me into this whole energy balance of like, okay, eliminate caffeine. Great. So you eliminate eliminate caffeine so you don't get that three hour, you know, spike of energy. Um, okay, what next? Uh decrease your glucose intake, right? Especially throughout the day. Try to keep so there's no glucose spikes. So it's like and I'm again yeah, a novice at a lot of these things, but it's like figuring out what people are saying works to solve the problems, uh, experimenting and and yeah,
0: when you're diving in and you're looking at a, a, a process or a framework, you know, I think about you know, we've spent some time talking about product frameworks and ways of thinking about things. Do you ever take a look at that problem? And once you kind of run through the framework, there's just some automatic things that you go, "Oh, we need to change this," or "We need to think about it this way." I'd be curious, either in your your gap analysis, kind of when you're looking at where you are to the next stage, whether it's a personal problem or something you're evaluating more on the product side. What are some of those, you know, determiners that, that go into helping you make those calls?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I go through um, a divergent stage of thinking or I try to go to the convergent thing. And so when I'm diverging, it's like before I settle on any framework to say this is the framework for this problem, um, I try to be as open-minded as possible because I know I have an inherent bias to lead towards what I've used in the past. So the first thing I do is with that divergent thinking is like, okay, here are all the frameworks that people are putting out in the world and saying, this can kind of get to this problem. Well, I've found something that I think is a good solution, is a good fit. I I narrow that framework focus, and that's where we go into the convergence of thinking, trying to apply the framework uh, the best I can to to whatever problem it is.
0: I like it. And I guess... Thinking specifically just on, on product for a second, because this is something that yep. we're going through right now that I, I struggle with. When you're building a roadmap, how much of that roadmap do you let be informed from your vision for where you want the product to be versus <laughs> the feedback that you're getting from the people who are using it or, or have that problem today?
1: This is a very fascinating question for me. Um, it's something that I've struggled with a lot in the last few years. and I've done, And I've made mistakes here. Um, I think at Yonder, some of our biggest mistakes and lessons learned, going too much with our own vision, not enough with, uh, you know, what users were shown. Um, and then I've also done it the other way where I've let users lead too much uh, in terms of product development. And what I where I've got to at this point in my life is, and I, and I think actually one of my favorite courses at Georgia Tech uh, helped me see through this was um, they have a human-computer interaction course, um, which really dove into and i I mean you hear of course over and over again um that you are not the user um you are not the user your user is not the user and when i when i got to the fact that your user is not the user i was like what does that mean and really what it what i sort of intuited uh my understanding of it is that a single user uh is is not the user but when you when you take users as a whole. And you say, okay, you have the this group of users that are behaving. It's it's in that group um, behavior and specifically not around you have the behavior, but then you have the problems that sort of elicit that behavior. And it's the identification of those problems that you that you want to get to. When you say, How do you use user input? You can use it in a lot of ways. Usability research is gonna be using user input differently than when you're trying to come up with what features you should build. Right. And so for me. Listening to the user early on, especially when you're trying problem or problem solution fit or problem identification, is more about getting to the stories of the user for them to describe their problem, not describe the solution. You can use their description of what they might want in an ideal solution, but what you really want, what the most important thing to do is, uh, for me at least, uh, is hearing that nugget of them define the problem in the problem space as articulately as they can. Because um, then it's, I think it's our job as product leads to, to really come up with unique solutions. Um, not not in isolation, you can keep the users, uh, you know, with you throughout that journey, but, but to really figure out which of these solutions, uh, obviously has that problem solution fit the best you can. So in the beginning, it's like, understand the problem. And it, Sort of quickly transitions to uh, iterate on solutions uh, while keeping the user as a part of that process the entire way through.
0: The user is not the user. I've never thought of it that way, right? It's the group thinking about it more at the aggregate, the macro. I still think it's one of the hardest problems that new companies face, right? Is how much vision and how much feedback. I've, it's interesting that you mentioned you've had both experiences. I've come from more of the vision driven, and sometimes that can get you the model T car. Other times you, you kind (laughs) of go completely the wrong way and you make a product no one wants. And so it's trying to figure out, you know, which one's right or wrong. And I think it's awesome kind of getting those people together who have that problem, whether it's through interviewing or or feedback sessions, but finding those common traits of the problem. That is the only way I think to really know if you're on the right track. So it makes sense. You've got a hybrid, hybrid approach there
1: yeah so that decomposition like you I think you said when you rates of the problem that is like i me that's the political sign that i'm in I'm heading in the right direction um that like okay yes uh it's there's uh, when you're doing qualitative stuff so when you're doing these interviews um and you're collecting qualitative data it's like this this idea that you have talked to enough people where you're hearing the same thing over that you that you really say, okay, yep okay we're we're at this point threshold where we get we we know enough or to move on and, and make a decision, and I think that yeah, is that is the balance. It's it's a trick. It, it's always a challenge, but um, that's generally uh, the point at which I transition more into solution.
0: When you think about digital products over the past five or ten years, how have you seen them evolve right over time? Where do you kind of think they're going? Are there any key themes? that you've seen kind of come up recently that you think are really interesting from that, that digital product lens.
1: So it's really hard, right? Because um, I think you and I have talked in the past about this idea of humane design Oh, yeah, and especially in digital products. And for me, it's fairly easy to build a product that people will open. I, I don't, I don't think that's the challenging part. I mean, It's a little more challenging with the app store dynamics and and everything else nowadays. But once you have something that's solving a problem, um, I think the biggest thing I've seen um, a lot of the companies move towards is a more humane design, uh, shifting away from metrics, opens, um, and moving more towards how do we get utility, uh, give utility the best way we can without interfering with... Uh, user's life now i think the hard part there is it depends on the company and unfortunately a lot of the companies are still focused on ads and anytime you're in the ad sense it's how do you get eyeballs on and that's your map and for those shareholders that makes a lot of sense right your you know obligation to shareholders um is you know maximize you know your revenue however if you zoom out a little bit and you think more you know outside of the shareholders and think about stakeholders are involved in that company that's where i see a lot of the companies even now um, aren't adopting uh, a more humane design i think Kristen harris um is is one of the leads on this he he's the head of the center for humane technologies and a lot of his talks go into what we do as um digital product needs to create products that that actually give people utility without taking away um Unknowingly, because it's really easy to focus on a metric. You have a KPI in your business that aligns with some OKR, and you're like, okay, I'm going to double down on this metric. And sometimes at the expense of what actually matters, which is providing utility and and giving people their time back.
0: This is such a great point here, Kyle. So, my wife, we have this Friendsgiving event. It's coming up. It's next month, right? And she does it through a Facebook event. That's how we've done it for the last, you know, whatever years. And I don't really use Facebook that much anymore. But I have to go on there to RSVP and like, man. And it's interesting because I don't just get to go to Facebook events. First, when I log into Facebook, I'm hit with the feed. You know, my random family members talking about things that I don't, I'm not that interested in. And you have to kind of make your way over to the sidebar and go to events and go to notifications. And I'm reminded that my reason for using Facebook, which in that case is very quick, almost transactional is not Facebook's reason for getting me to use Facebook because yep. their reason is just, you mentioned it's, it's time. They, they are an eyeballs company and they need me to do that. But that's awesome that you've seen a shift away from that. I think the, the Center for Human Technology is a great resource. They have a course for, you know, kind of the intro to uh, consensual technology and some of those different other ways that people can start building in a more sustainable way. Because at the end of the day, I, I don't want to feel like I'm being you know, used by your experience. I want to feel like your experience is there to help me. That's, that's why I'm here. You know, let's, let's make that the reason.
1: I think it's a really interesting time. When I said, I think I'd see that shift for a lot of companies moving that way. I see it in the smaller companies mm-hmm. um, more than I see it in the larger companies. Sure. Uh, that being said, um, those experiences people are creating. I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm really hopeful. It, uh, the reason I think it's an interesting time is you, you get this point where people are paying attention more to what they want and they want the same utility without the distraction. Right. And so it's an uh, interesting time where you can find business models that might not be just focused on profits, might be more of a total bottom line yep. where they're focused on the you know, people and the profits. You still need the profits. Don't get me wrong, it's scale and be able to provide the solution but at the same time it shouldn't come at the expense of the end users who are who are actually trying to build.
0: One of the challenges that I've seen just for myself being in startups being in product you know facing roles or adjacent roles you end up with a lot of screen time yourself right that's something that I personally feel and have felt I'm curious if you've got any tips or tricks as you've been in technical roles or product roles that have helped you kind of manage that balance because while it might be coming. A lot of the apps on my phone today are apps that are trying to keep me on my phone. How do you kind of balance those pieces?
1: It's a big challenge. I think one of my biggest challenges lately that I've noticed is I use YouTube um, for a lot of just like anecdotal research, just yep. seeing what other researchers are doing. Um, often, you know, the videos will have a few video, uh, a few hundred views uh, because it's some obscure researcher from some university. But what I find is I, I lose. 10 20 minutes so uh, 10 20 minutes each time i go there's everything else perfectly loaded in youtube for me at this point it's like oh remember that product theory rule here's a video for you on something that's uh, tangentially related i'm like okay so what i did to be honest um now i just I, i built a script in my browser that deletes all the recommendations and only allows me to search um and you know that kind of folk mode uh, I wish it was it was plug in, but again, it's like a balance with this. How do we provide a sustainable service? Um, what revenues do we need? Uh, and and it's it's hard. It's it's, it's not an easy thing. It's I would like to say for Google and, and, uh, and other companies, Alphabet and uh, all all the child companies, that it is easy as saying, okay, well, we're just going to have this risk mode. Here you go. It's like okay, great, but what does that mean? What what cost does it have? So it's not a simple answer, but um, for me, it's usually hacks.
0: YouTube's definitely one that I've personally have spent a ton of time on over the years. Sometimes it's productive. Sometimes it's just, you know, to have a laugh or wind down. But the thing that yeah. I, I found was crazy. Did you ever see the, uh, the post that Guillaume Chalot made on the YouTube algorithm when he left YouTube? Because he was a YouTube you know, engineer working on their algorithm, their recommendation engine. For the record, I don't believe this is how their engine works today, but this is how it was working, call it, three or four years ago. The broad strokes is YouTube had categorized types of content. So imagine you have hot content and cold content. And cold content would be very factual. It's probably the research videos you're watching would be considered cold content, right? It's factual. It's you know, things that are happening, science videos, what have you. And you have hot content, which is you know, controversial. It's outrage. It's you know, flatter theory, all these things. And no matter which type of content you would start with, the YouTube algorithm would gradually skew you towards hot content because hot content had a higher time on page, and that was what the algorithm was trying to optimize for. And this is why you would get to these like crazy scenarios where if you did a Google search on flat earth theory, 90% of the results would be about how you know the earth is round and simple experiments that you could run in your house to figure it out. But when you did a YouTube search for that same topic, the recommended <laughs> results were the other way. It was like eighty percent about about how the rounders had uh, had gotten to you, and it was just this amazing tell-all. And for me, seeing that, it made me realize, man, I'm pretty susceptible to just going down that rabbit hole and just getting those recommendations and not even realizing kind of what I'm consuming. So that was that, that tell was like a very impactful moment for me in my life, where I said, okay. I don't quite have the script or that hack where I'm getting rid of the recommendations. That would be the ultimate. But instead I try to say, okay, I'm going to do two or three videos and that's it. And then I'm, then I'm done. That's my session. And if it's 10 minutes, great. Uh, If it's less than that, whatever, I'm, I'm willing to sign that time away here, but trying to give myself some hard and fast rules where it's like, you can pick whatever videos you want, Sean recommended or otherwise, but when they're gone, they're gone.
1: I think the hard part is, you know, depends on the individual. And and I say this for a lot of people. I mean, people will, I, I find a lot of people judge others for a lack of willpower, um, especially, you know, throughout the day. And if you think about and you just put yourself in their shoes five seconds, it's like someone works a 12-hour shift, right? And they're coming home and, you know, they spend some time with their family and then they go into veg mode. And what causes that isn't because they're bad humans. Uh, usually it's a result of a drained willpower throughout the day. Right. If if it's a it's a finite resource uh, on a daily basis. Now it's something that can improve, but that that when the willpower is gone, that's when the algorithms really get you because that ability to say it's it's free videos um, when it's you know eleven o'clock at night and you're trying to wrap up and you're fifteen videos later you find yourself what happened? It's like okay, well I that that's just basic chemistry like when when these videos serve up a certain amount of and you have no moral power to say no, your prefrontal cortex is drained. And you're like, okay, let's get that 60 video.
0: <laughs> I've been there. Truthfully, it's, it's not great. Not, not regularly. Right. But I, I'm with you. And I, and I think the, the thing that's interesting to me, you know, the, it should be easier, right? It shouldn't be this active, you know, superior willpower every day. It should be easier. And I think, the point you made earlier, our products should be making it easier for us to put them down, right? Can you add so much value that I can, I can go back to this world around me and not be you know, attached to my screen as much? But that's easier said than done because you have to look at all the incentives in the business model you mentioned earlier.
1: Again, it's similar to my own outlook. I look at the ideal world for a product and right, what would I build if I could build the ideal product for these users. And, you know, the goal is just to get as close to it as you can while ensuring that the stakeholders along the way are taken care of, right? You need to make it a business so you're around to provide a solution to begin with. Um, and it's just that trade-off. You, you try to do your best to balance at any given stage. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, you, sometimes you're going to fail. Sometimes you'll fall in your face. But as long as you're, you're kind of, your star is pointing you to where you want to do good to the users, and there, you know, you're first and foremost. I, I think the ship breaks itself over time.
0: Thinking about these ideas of of balance and kind of finding your time away, were any of these ideas ideas that you would incorporate into Yonder? Thinking about that experience for a second.
1: Yeah. Um, so I was at Yonder. Um, I wasn't the product lead there. Um, I was the CTO, okay. but I worked really closely with product lead. And it was a team for out. sure. Uh, uh, everyone had good ideas and threw in but um I think as as you know about me i was I'm kind of obsessed with the outdoors uh, and the outdoor space um climbing hiking backpacking uh, anything and everything. so for me, it was just like a natural fit to say hey let's let's try to build a social community around you know outdoor enthusiasts, and the team everyone was they did for the same thing, so I think the challenge for for us and with something social is the building a social media site for outdoor enthusiasts, right? That's what it was. And anytime you say social media site, it's like, okay. I think one of the things the product lead uh, was going to do and and something that, you know, the team agreed with is like, we want to share out experiences, not so people stay in the app as much, but so that people are inspired and motivated to get back outdoors and find new things to do. And that was really our, our objective was, okay, you might not know about these experiences near you that are really easy to jump into and get into nature. Here you go. Here's, you know, five people literally in your neighborhood proposing things that you could do. Um, get out, go do them. And that, that was really our ambition. The hard part was to get to a you know, point um, where, like, what is the business model? Right. How are, how are you monetizing to keep this thing afloat? Because it's, it's, it was very expensive at the time. Uh, Costs come down a little bit, uh, obviously. Um, but, but yeah, how do you make this work? And if it's advertising model, I, I feel like advertising usually leads to, well, currently, uh, and I think there's some interesting companies working on this, but advertising inherently leads to time in, right? And that's something that was kind of against where we wanted to go. Um, so it, it was an interesting problem because you, you've got to be honest uh, with your investors. But at the same time, like you also want to be honest to what you your visions and what you want to build.
0: It's almost reminiscent to me of some of the the challenges faced by dating apps, where the goal is not to keep you in the app. The goal is to actually set up a meeting in the real world somewhere between two people, and so you kind of don't want to have this repeat, you know, sessions per day. You kind of really want someone to go in. In your case, almost a, a curated list of adventures to be had near you that you could go and kind of. Do I? I think that's a really admirable way of looking at it. But of course, the ad revenue probably wouldn't agree, uh, understand that at least at that time, right? Of oh, fewer sessions is better for me. Well, why is that again? Exactly. I think
1: one of the things I'm most proud of about Yonder is the team that we're building. Yonder um, got to a point where we started seeing and developing these individual communities of of Yonder. their uh, there are Yonder buds and they would get together and go on adventures. So we started seeing people in, in various states. Some, some people would arrive from one state to another just to go to these meetups. And there were just these people who had a similar passion for getting out in nature. And seeing that happen, part of it was organically. And then um, I believe, you know, the team sort of built uh, these outings around that uh, organic, like, you are following. But it was, that was something I was, passionate, uh, I was really passionate and, and proud about was when your platform, even if it's just a handful of people, if you're getting a handful of people um, in you know, state to state uh, doing some interesting things. I think uh, it inspires others. And they were some of the lead content generators, to be honest, on our platform. They would get out and do it. They'd be posting and, and you could see who it were. It was, it was fun. It was a lot of
0: fun. I, I love it. And making those meaningful connections. I think about folks that I've met through climbing. I'm, I'm into bouldering here over the past year and a half. And, and definitely, like, there, are, there are climbs and, and places that I see with a completely different lens having experienced that. And it's always better when you can do it with, with a, fr- a new friend or an existing one. It just makes it a more memorable experience.
1: Yeah, very, very much so. I mean, uh, having an adventure by yourself can be fun, uh, it's like you said, the med doesn't last nearly as long. It's not as impactful.
0: For sure. All right, Kyle, I'm going to give you a scenario. It's a long day. You've been taking care of the company. You've been taking care of the fam. You are, you are beat. What is one thing you're going to do to decompress?
1: Decompression for me is, is a very... <laughs> Ask uh, my wife um, and she's going to say something very <laughs> different. If, if I Get a few minutes to learn something during the day. Like if I can get a few minutes to learn a new topic, uh, that is my decompression. My decompression is like, okay, the kids are in bed, um, you know, and I try to be there for for bedtime every day. Um, and and that that was something I said. Listen, uh, balancing work has always been hard for me. How do I make sure I show up for for the family? So bedtime was one thing. Once the kids are in bed, something for myself uh, is is to me, um, getting 30 minutes to an hour to, to learn something new, um, expand the horizon. And it's
0: what better. are some of your go-to yeah. ways? You mentioned YouTube kind of diving deeper on some of the research side. Is that kind of one of your, the primary ways? Or what are some of the ways you're learning new things today?
1: It definitely depends on the field again. Um, but usually it starts with um, like a lit, literature review. So I'll use Google yeah. Scholar, um, Research Rabbit, and a few other things. I'll find research in the field that I'm currently working in. Um, and I try to do that, you know, once or twice a day, um, just when I get lost and, and I'm reading, that's, it's really research rabbit. Some, you know, uh, author just published a new paper and I'm curious, you know, how it relates to the other research that I know. Uh, for me, that's how I usually identify new mm-hmm. ideas. Um, and then from there, I, yeah, YouTube, anything else that might be uh, related to that subject or, uh. That specific
0: research. That's awesome. Yeah, I think for me, I, it's a lot of audio form or uh, written content. So, I, Google Scholar is an awesome research. I usually don't start there. I might get there eventually when I need to figure out, you know, what did the study actually say? I usually start with more, you know, it's a podcast, it's a master class. Nice.
1: And then I
0: kind of dive deeper. And I've been doing a lot more app based learning. I, it started during the pandemic. I did simply piano, which was just a way to learn. My parents bought me a keyboard when I was 10 years old, Kyle. I never learned how to play piano. Never learned, and then the pandemic hit, and I was like, "Well, it's sitting there in storage. It's this keyboard. I might as well try." And you know, now today I can play, you know, "Happy Birthday" or "Old Lang sign or like some basic songs. It's cool, and so it's a lot of app-based learning that I've been into. So I'm always curious how how folks are kind of moving the, the needle on that side.
1: So, like I said, uh, definitely obsessed with learning the, the the inbound funnel, right? So where do I find this stuff yeah. that I want to learn? Usually, I already have an idea of the topics that I want right. to learn, so I'll dig in different places. They research. Um, I'll I'll look through different publications that that I'm really passionate about.
0: I love it. I got. I, I'm very interested. That's a that's a cool space. Uh, so shifting gears a little bit, thinking about you know, one of the things that I've noticed as you as businesses grow and advance or as roles change, you know, sometimes I definitely will feel the I don't know the weight of it all. I guess at certain days, you know, I think about my mental health or just different stress levels. Curious as as you've you know, progressed and, and supported different organizations and building companies. How have you kind of, you know, taken account of your own, you know, health and well-being in those situations? How do you realize when that's happening, if it is happening? And, you know, what do you kind of do to get back on track?
1: Uh, the first thing is having the right metrics, right? Having the indicators saying, hey, you're off track in the first place. Um, luckily I have a great wife and she'll let me know, uh, it's like, Kyle, uh, when's the last time you slept? Um, uh, how, you know, she, she's a really, really good at helping me balance the other aspects of my life. But other than that, it's like, um, I keep track of my social engagement. Um, you know, it's really easy to lose yourself and, and lose track of friends. Um, so I have a tool that I built, uh, to keep track of how many times am i reaching out a week that's something that's important to me um and i have tools to keep track of like for for running and health. uh to be honest um that's one of the most important aspects of my mental health was actually my run was, was a big part of that and um i've been off it since i had a little one and something that to make up for that i was like okay i'm gonna bike bike to the office All right so i've been uh, trying to fit in right it's not always gonna be perfect it's not always gonna be that ideal self. But if I can work towards it a little bit and get a little cardio, it's like, cool, 20 minutes in, 20 minutes home, we're good to go. We get that cardio session.
0: Those small gains, when you aggregate them up at the end of a month or a year, they're, they're very meaningful. So I, I like that approach a lot. Yeah, it's, consistency is definitely different for an
1: individual. And it's like consistency for them. It's like, do the bare minimum, at least you're making progress. Right? As At least you're working towards that idea.
0: Right? Don't want to be standing still. I love it. What's... When we think about uh, where we've come, we've covered a ton of ground, Kyle. I've got our kind of our wind down questions here. These are the questions we ask every single person. They're good ones. I wouldn't worry. Uh, the first one is what does wellness mean to you?
1: Wellness is having a balance um, between, I, I think you had mentioned that you have several dimensions. For me, it's my own dimensions that matter um, to me and my family and making sure that at any one point that I'm showing up at the minimum levels that I set for each of those dimensions, right? And um, so for health, it's, like I said, you know, a little bit of activity every day. Um, for my family, it's making sure that I'm there at night and I'm there in the morning uh, with my little ones, um, getting ready for bedtime, uh, you know, spending at least an hour or two a day with, with the little ones um for my friends and family, that, that's one that it's like it's a little bit hard for me. Um yeah. I, I want to put more time into it. But it's sure. like if I can reach out to a friend or a member once a week, I consider that a win. Um, I have personal financial, I have professional. But yeah, it really it really is just like figuring out your ideal self and saying, cool, what are the minimums in these categories I'm willing to accept now? And just hmm. trying to hit those minimums every day. And as long as you're, you're making progress, I consider that a win in all this. Am I balanced? Am I, do I feel balanced in my life? And, and that balance is going to be different uh, on a month-to-month basis.
0: And so then, given that, what's one simple thing people can start doing to either find that balance or improve their wellness?
1: Yeah. Um, I think if you have a good idea... Of what you're trying to get to um and give yourself grace to to get there um i think sometimes people wait uh until like an opportunity to start yeah and oftentimes that motivation follows the activity it uh, doesn't see it. so uh just getting started even though it might not feel comfortable if if you want to go running if you want to do something it's like just do the activity before you're motivated. Just push yourself through that initial threshold. And I think that's the one thing for me. It's a lot of times, um, even the baselines are uncomfortable. And it's like, okay, if you, as soon as there's an excuse or anything in my head, and I, I find this for a lot of friends and and the people that I talk to, it's like, if you just go to the activity and don't think about it a second longer, the, the excuse comes in your head and it's almost a, a habit um habit also you have a habit you have a cue then you have a reward, right if the cue for your thing is like uh okay i, I want to go running um the shoes are here the cue is there and then it's like what is how are you replacing the, the second part of it how are you that the actual cycle yeah so for me if i make an excuse as soon as i start making an excuse i immediately go to the thing that i'm making the excuse for and uh-huh. so I use that as a cue for actually going to do the thing that I am about to make an excuse for.
0: That is a clever way to add an extra prompt, right? It's almost like you have the, instead of having just one prompt, you have the, the prompt or cue to do the thing. And then the excuse is another cue. So you have two cues that are built into the, the action you're looking to
1: do. Yeah, exactly. It's I like, love it. Don't wait for the motivation because sometimes motivation won't show up on the, um, in most days. Make get into the activity, and you'll find that you know that feeling, that reward center comes out.
0: Well, Kyle, where can people follow you to learn more and connect?
1: Uh, unfortunately, uh, similar to yourself, I'm off <laughs> most social media <laughs> for for obvious reasons. Uh, but uh, I think LinkedIn is one of the only places uh, you'll find me. So yeah, you're you're welcome to find me. It's Kyle Gerard, um, and you should be able to see uh, my face.
0: Awesome. Well, Kyle, thanks so much for, for joining us on the show. This was a ton of fun.
1: John, it's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Better You podcast. If you're interested in continuing your journey to improve health and wellness, learn more at betteru.ai.